This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome to Province Sports Radio Keyboard Kimura Edition. I am Paul Chapman, finally, uh, after a little bit of time off due to a uh, combat medical issue, <laughs> uh, if only. Um, looked a little bit like Rory McDonald there with uh, Spencer Kite here. Uh, how are you doing, Spence? I'm doing well. It's nice to have you back. You're, you're healed up, you're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> you can see. Uh, sort of, not quite. I had a detached <laughs> retina, very, very, very painful surgery, which again, uh, I jokingly referenced Rory McDonald, but, uh, man, I'll tell you, you go through something like that and, and such a delicate surgery that's so much pain. And, and I just wonder how these guys take such a beating to the head all the time, but Hey, that's the business they're in. They're used to it. They've got the best working on it. It's uh it's a precarious business. That's where they get a lot of time off in between fights, I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's it's when you go through those things yourself that you're like, these guys do this. Obviously, it's their job and they get paid, but like it's also their passion is to put themselves in position where these things that make us all go, I need three weeks on the couch yeah. and Netflix. And well, seeing as I nuts. brought it up, Spence, like we'll get into the news of the day uh, shortly, but have you heard anything about Rory in the aftermath of that? I know Robbie Lawler's kind of been all over the place. Uh, um being the victor and certainly didn't he took a lot of damage no one near as much damage as Rory have you heard anything out of Rory's camp he's uh he's back here in BC right now as far as I know uh tweeted out some pictures or or Coulter Gill actually tweeted out a picture had Rory over for dinner with some of the fellas a couple nights back he looks to be I mean obviously he's healing up it's been a month now um Rory tweeted out some pictures of his nose there are some some definite breaks in there that are going to have to be dealt with. Um, he did the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani referred to that night as, as the greatest night of his life. And I mean, wow. I, I spoke to Faraz Zahabi about it a couple of days prior to that. And Faraz echoed that statement and said, like Rory told me it was, he had fun. Like it was, it was the most enjoyable time of his, of his life so far, because that's really what he lives for. And sort of my response throughout sort of this month and change since that fight when people asked me how do you come back from something like that was always if there's anybody that's going to be able to it's a guy like Rory because that is what he seeks he's not in this for the fame and attention and magazine covers and things like that he's in it for the the competition of it for testing himself against another elite athlete and so as much as the physical pain is there and the, you know, frustration of the result is there. I completely understand, as weird as it may sound, him saying, that was the most fun I've ever had in my life. It's not the kind of fun I would choose to have, but I get it for him. But just on a broader sense, that is, that's fascinating to me because when Rory was here, uh, we talk about it a lot when Rory and Robbie came here on a publicity tour in in March, I believe it was in March or April, uh, April, I guess, to, to discuss the fight and did a little 60 second thing with him and, and asked Rory what the best part of his job was. And he said, getting in the octagon. 
I asked him what the worst part of his job was, and he said, getting in the octagon, <laughs> it is that dichotomy of that thrill and the adrenaline and the idea of that primal idea of testing yourself physically against another dangerous elite warrior um, versus, you know, you get your nose punched off your face. Like, it's it's got to be exhilarating and terrifying at the same time if you have the mental makeup for it. And Dana White said, amongst many other people, we'll see. Fights like that can change someone, like change them for the worse. But I guess the feeling from what you're telling me is from what Rory and what Faraz says is that, no, this is a guy who's built to 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 – to go with this and it's not something that's lingering it's something that he cherishes yeah there's there's different guys and and Dwayne and I have talked about it Dwayne Finley who who fills in for you when you're not here um have talked about it several times in the past and it's one of the things that we sort of wait to see you take a guy like Anthony Pettis who is feels like he's built on confidence and feels like he's built on having that momentum rolling for him and he needs to be going in a good direction. So he comes off a fight like his loss to Rafael Dos Anjos, where he doesn't just get beaten quick. He gets beaten for 25 minutes. And it's bad and it's ugly and it's a tough loss. And he breaks, you know, I think he had a broken orbital bone or couldn't see at, at one point during the fight. How is he going to come back from this? Is he going to have that same confidence? Is he able to stride into the cage with that same sureness as he did heading into that fight now that it's been shattered last time out. With Rory, it's never been about where he's at in terms of what the media thinks of him or how much attention he's getting. It's always been about testing himself. And Faraz said it when I spoke to him and in the piece for UFC.com, Rory's happy to go out there and pick you apart and be a sniper like he did to Jake Ellenberger, like he did to BJ Penn. He's equally happy to go out there and have his face beaten off and blood everywhere and have a night like that because for him it's all about the test. It's all about the challenge. It's not about – he's he's not built up as Rory McDonald superstar UFC fighter. He's in his head Rory McDonald martial artist, you know, we throw out the modern day gladiators a lot in this sport, but Rory's one of those guys for me that really embodies that because it really is just for him about going out there and competing. And if it's a clean fight where he just, you know, throws jabs and, and doesn't get tested very much, he's cool with that because he gets to show off his expertise. If it's a fight like the one he had with Robbie Lawler at UFC 189, He's cool with that because he showed his heart, his metal, like all the all the intangibles that you look for in a fighter. And so I don't think he'll have any problems coming back whenever he comes back. Yeah, and you know the interesting part about that makeup too, uh of his of his brain, of his heart, of of his self image is you often see fighters um after they take a lot of damage you cannot find a picture of them forever. Like after JDS lost to Cain Velasquez, I think that guy wore a ski mask for three months because, you, you know, you just don't they, – they're, whether it's they're embarrassed about the damn – they don't want to be seen that way. He, the next day, you know, the, the, the so you want to be a fighter with the blood streaming <laughs> down his face, and then two days later, just this alien-looking head with this giant swollen face and the eyes closed. He was proud of it. Oh, and, and when the Robbie Lawler-Carlos Condit fight got announced, he posted a side-by-side 
of his post-fight pictures from Lawler and Condit, and I think said something along the lines of which one, you know, who did I do better against? LOL, they both broke my face. Like, this isn't a guy that's ashamed of that. He wears it as a badge of honor, and so that, to me, is why he's the, he's one of those guys that I don't have any questions about when it comes to what's he going to be like next time? Is he going to be gun-shy? Is he going to be hesitant? Is he going to fight with that same ferocity that we saw in that fight the answer for me to all of those is yes and i can't wait to see that next yeah time. unfortunately it's probably not going to be till next next year i would guess unless there's a december fight in there somewhere you think i would think so just in terms of if he was tweeting last week that the nose is still broken um probably got to get that set probably got to let that heal up we're already starting to push september somehow um, and you just look at the way some of these cards are, are shaking out and just already filling up. I think probably be best to, to just take the rest of this year, heal up, come back in the first quarter of 2016 and, and go from there. All right. So let's get on to, uh, more newsy stuff. That was fascinating stuff about Rory though. It's nice to get that update from you. Um, let's look ahead at the fight night Saskatoon. Now, you know, we do get, we've talked about this with the UFC before, whether it's a, a good thing or not. Um, they do tend to, uh, how, how do we say stack a card or <laughs> load a card with local talent, um, to maybe entice ticket sales a little bit more. Saskatoon's not the biggest market. Let's be sure about that. Um, but it's one that's getting a chance to experience some big time. They've, they've got some good fights on the card this week and certainly not pay-per-view fights, but, Definitely fights that would intrigue the audience in the building, which I think is going to be a more intimate atmosphere. What are you expecting uh, from this week? I'm really excited. I So we're taping this on Wednesday morning. It will probably get posted on Thursday morning. So when everybody hears this, I will be on my way to Saskatoon or potentially even touching down in the Paris of the Prairies. Hat tip to the Tragically Hip. Um, I'm really excited about this card, as you said. Not necessarily kind of kind of what you and I have always talked about as as the standard fight night type of build. A really great main event in Max Holloway and Charles Oliveira, two top 10 ranked featherweights, two young kids that are hungry and, and looking to assert themselves as contenders. And then a bunch of just interesting fights and, and younger some younger fighters getting a step up in competition like Chad Laprise. Very interested to see Marina Moreau's fight again after her 90-second submission of Joanne Calderwood and then calling out Joanna Janjacek um, face-to-face, not just like jumping on Twitter, not just saying it in the post-fight, but literally sitting on top of the cage and pointing at the newly crowned champion and making the I want the belt gesture. Um, very excited to see Misha Serkinov debut. I've followed his career and sort of known him since he debuted um, out in Victoria five years ago, a phenomenal athlete, really impressive grappler. And in, in the light heavyweight division, which was always one of those marquee divisions and has sort of taken a step back, really interested to see a 28, 29-year-old Canadian, Latvian Canadian come in and, and see what he can do. So it's a very intriguing card to me. I know some people have sort of done the, oh, it's Sask- where's Saskatoon and it starts late and it's on a Sunday and blah, 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 blah. I fully expect this to be another one of those fight night events that really delivers. Well, one of the one of the things, the theme that runs through the card, you mentioned some of the names, but there's some guys on here to me that should be in desperation mode. Some guys who are 
Um, you know, you mentioned Holloway, probably the highest rated guy, you know, certainly the, um, the headliner of the show. Uh, I look at guy names like Berkman and, and Magni. These are guys who sort of need to catch Dana White's attention again if they want to get in the pay-per-view mix. And I think often when you get that, when you get a bunch of guys who know they have to put on a show, you get a show. Yeah, Berkman, Berkman's a guy that got the call back to the UFC, was at, was with World Series of Fighting for a while, um, left that organization, came back, has gone winless since coming back, had an opportunity, it looked like, to maybe get a victory or get a finish late in his fight last time out against Dung Hyung Kim, um, but missed that opportunity. One of those fights was against Hector Lombard, where Hector Lombard then tested positive, so it's it's registered as a no, as a no decision, but I think this is definitely a win or move on fight for Josh Berkman against Patrick Cote. I think Neil Magny. I got a chance to talk to him uh, late last week as he's filling in for Rick's story on short notice. You know, he came off that seven fight winning streak, gets the loss to Damian Maya, where truthfully he pretty much got big brothered the entire fight um, and then submitted, had nothing. Nothing really to offer. It, it showed the difference between a really good grappler and an elite grappler in Damian Maya. But I agree this is, is one of those fights where he needs to come out and sort of show that that run up into the top 15 and that winning streak wasn't solely based on the level of competition, but also had a lot to do with, you know, Magni is continuing to develop and can beat some of these top 15, top 20 guys. Um, and then, you know, a veteran like Sam Stout, who's who's coming off some hard times inside the cage, hasn't necessarily looked great, um, is only 31, but this will be his 20th UFC appearance, could be at sort of the end of the line for him. So definitely some some young young fighters to see more of and see where they go from here, but absolutely a couple veteran guys on the card that, that need a win in a big way. Uh, you expecting, I mean, obviously you, you don't look at ratings for, for a fight like this. I think that we've had a very busy summer with a lot of big names, but you said that, you know, this is, um, this is a fight that, or this is a card that has so much potential. Are you expecting that kind of momentum where it's like the fights almost play off each other? The guys are backstage. They kind of see what's going on. Maybe it's through that desperation for some of these guys. There's, and also I think a small place like Saskatoon, you do get a lot of energy in the building. And I think that people can fight, fight off that. I think this is a card that maybe not a lot of people are paying attention to, but it will surprise people. I think so. I think so. Absolutely. I mean, people have spoke to Andy Dirt, um, the newspaper out there in Saskatoon, the Star Phoenix, talked to the people at the SaskTel Center. It has been, it's not quite sold out, but it, a lot of tickets have been sold. I think they're pushing close to a million dollar gate, which is crazy for a fight night event. Um, I think the way that the card is built as well in terms of the fight progression, you get an opportunity early in the night to maybe get some of those finishes with Misha Sukhanov with the fight between Shane Campbell and Elias Silverio, which should be an interesting stand-up fight with two other light heavyweights, um, Marcos DeLima and Nikita Krylov, that should be a finish. So I think it has the potential to be one of those fights, almost similar to the last two cards in Australia, where it just the first couple finishes happen and you start getting that feeling like this could be a good night. And then next thing you know, your six straight finishes and your seven straight great fights. And, and then the whole card ends up being really entertaining. I don't know that we're going to get 12 finishes, 
but I think we're going to get 12 pretty entertaining fights because looking at it, there's not a lot of bouts on here where I think this is going to be a 15-minute slog of ugly wrestling and bad grappling along the cage. I think we're going to see a lot of action, a lot of a lot of finishes, and a lot of really entertaining fights. So I think it will do well. Yeah, another name I'm a little bit uh, curious about because sometimes you get lower down the card uh... – you know, there's not the interest there. Chris Beal, a guy who really impressed me. He had an injury uh, when he fought in the Ultimate Fighter. Again, that's why I love that show. It gives you uh, a chance to get to know not just from the in-ring style, but the personalities of some of these guys. And I know he's someone that the UFC looked at, uh, thought he could potentially win that tournament um, if he didn't have that hand injury, but hasn't had the easiest start to his fight career either. But a guy I still think has a ton of potential. Another one of those great athletes who, you know, as he gets to learn the fight better, uh, you know, could could amount being a real contender. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, had a brilliant debut last April, so April 2014, against Patrick Williams with a flying knee finish. Um, got a bonus for it, dropped to flyweight his last time out, lost to a very tough Irishman, Neil Siri. Um, in an entertaining fight, just a good back and forth where, where Beal came out quick. Um, I think the fact that it was his first cut to 25 probably played in there a little bit as well. Made, you know, it, it, it takes some getting used to understanding your gas tank when you change divisions like that. So I expect him to be better. I think Chris Kalidis. Chris Kalades, sorry, is a guy that will give him a good fight. We saw the Greek jump in on on short notice out in Nova Scotia and win a, a really entertaining fight with Patty Houlihan. Um, coming off a tough loss to Ray Borg last time out, but definitely one of those fights that people aren't talking about it. Neither guy is ranked. Neither guy is necessarily within any kind of range of being ranked right now, probably, but should still be an entertaining fight. And And those are the ones to me that that really build these cards and really hold a lot of sway in terms of how these cards are are perceived. Because you know Max Holloway and Charles Oliveira is going to be entertaining. You know Eric Silva is good for about seven and a half minutes of really high-tempo fighting. Um, Chad Laprie is coming off a great fight in Montreal. You can count on that being entertaining. And so if you get some of these preliminary card fights that really deliver – you end up having a really good night, and I'm excited to be there for it. Now, I do want to move ahead a week. Um, you know, the fight night, I know you're going there. It's going to be, it, I, again, I think the energy in the building is really going to help things there. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the pay-per-view, the next pay-per-view, the next UFC event following that. Um, and we'll get into this in more detail after we get past Saskatoon. Um, it's Labor Day weekend, 191, um, back in Las Vegas. Very interesting because the headline, the title fight, something we've seen before, but again, something that we've, I don't want to say disagreed on, we just see it differently. You know, Mighty Mouse against John Dodson. Dodson's been flapping his gums about it. You know, DJ just keeps really quiet and just keeps winning. But maybe, you know, Dodson has accused him of being boring. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the fact that lightweights never really seem to knock anyone out. So you just see these flurry of punches and all this, you know, just arms and legs flying all over the the ring, but there never really seems to be any damage. They just don't seem to be the biggest draw. But having said that, the rest of the card, um, questions on each belt, but there's a lot of intriguing names on this card. 
We haven't talked about this one a lot in the larger scope of things, Spencer, because we've had such monster pay-per-views this year. But we're, I know we're looking ahead a little bit and we'll get into forensic detail probably next week and the week after. But when you look ahead to that card, seeing as there's some stuff in the news about it, how do you see it? I think it's going to be one of those cards that we sort of have limited expectations for, I think, just because... DJ is the headliner. People go into it with the, oh, it's another Demetrius Johnson pay-per-view. It won't be that good. People get caught up in, in, in how many buys a pay-per-view generates. Like fans and media get really invested in, oh, well, it's not going to do very well on pay-per-view. I don't get a stake in the pay-per-view. I don't get a cut from the UFC. So I don't necessarily care. I want to see good fights. And I think these are going to be good fights. I love, I love the rematch just because I think John Dodson is clearly the guy that has tested Demetrius Johnson the most thus far. Knocked him down a couple times in their first fight on my scorecard was carrying the lead into the championship rounds. And then DJ just, just proved why he's the champion. I think they've both grown since then. I think DJ has looked phenomenal. I've been live to, I think, four of his last six fights. And so... We've covered it a lot on here. I'm a huge fan. I really appreciate what he does. But I think this is going to be a great fight. I think they're going to be jawing with each other over the next couple of weeks. DJ has sort of not not changed his approach to the media. He's just sort of taken that filter off a little bit in terms of he's not censoring himself in terms of using colorful language. He's not holding back. Um, he's, he's told the story a couple times. He had a conversation with UFC VP of PR, Dave Schaller, who, who said, I love you. I love what you're doing, but I know the DJ that I see backstage and that I talk to on the phone. And that's not the guy that we see in interviews. You're holding yourself back a little bit. Feel free to just like, obviously don't go out there and say crazy stuff that makes no sense. But you don't have to refrain from swearing. You don't have to refrain from sharing your thoughts on a particular fighter or a particular fight or whatever the case may be, as long as they're honest and genuine. And so we've seen sort of DJ be a little bit more spirited. Some people have talked about now he's finally showing personality. I would argue people are now finally paying attention. And I think this fight, just as you said, not necessarily the the biggest names, not stacked the way some of these cards we've seen recently and again we'll see in December have been built but that I mean the heavyweight matchup between Andre Arlovsky and Frank Mir just takes you back um should have happened probably close Legends to a decade tour. ago now like <laughs> just crazy I mean Paige Van Zant to me is is always entertaining to watch always somebody that I want to see fight John Lineker and Francisco Rivera could end in 30 seconds or could end in 15 minutes of dudes just throwing absolute bombs. Um, really, really entertaining, fun scrap for, for a preliminary card. And Paul Felder, Ross Pearson is the same thing at lightweight where two guys that just love to stand there and bang. And we saw that with Felder's last fight against Edson Barboza. Love that he's jumping back in the cage. So I think this is going to be another one of those cards that kind of slides under the radar and everybody has these lowered expectations for it and talks about it in terms of the pay-per-view buys that it's going to do, but it's going to deliver in terms of the action that we see. Okay. Now the one guy you didn't mention on there, we do have to mention <laughs> Anthony Johnson's fighting Jimmy Manoa. 
Um, Anthony Johnson in the news uh, on Wednesday for an incident that happened on Tuesday night. Uh, got into what sounds like a pretty run-of-the-mill uh, argument that in a gym, which happens to people all, all over the country, uh, probably all over the world, guy wants to lift, woman wants to lie on her yoga mat. Uh, he says something to her about uh, you don't do your stretching here where we're supposed to be lifting weights. She says something back. It escalates. He, th- he allegedly throws her yoga mat, yoga mat. She runs crying to the front. Okay, fine. This stuff happens. Anthony Johnson has a history that is going to attract headlines. Um, and beyond that, the thing that really had me scratching my head, Spencer, is he was the one who put the story out. <laughs> he goes on Facebook and puts this whole rant out there. Uh, is this guy just star-crossed or, or, or I know you know him a little bit. What's going on? The, the putting it out there yourself on Facebook is the part that I don't get. Um, I've texted AJ and I have a little bit of a relationship just through, through my job and through covering the sport. We've talked a bunch in the past. Um, he is a very kind of unfiltered dude. Um, doesn't, doesn't want to exist sort of in that athletes have to be held to a different standard, just sees himself as a regular guy, doesn't understand sometimes why this stuff is a big deal, um, doesn't understand that they're like, dude, be angry about this yoga girl stretching where you want to lift. Zero reason to put it on Facebook. Get a diary talk to your boys, whatever the case may be, you're going to be held to a different standard. You're going to, given his history, um, given, you know, past domestic abuse charges and allegations, you are automatically starting from a deficit. So then to go on Facebook and have this rant that you put out there where you say some not nice things about this woman and her shape and her physique and her appearance. I think, um, I think don't, don't wear a sports bra where, sorry, I think don't wear a sports bra when your stomach looks like a dirt clay road, uh, is one of them. Yeah. He's, you're uh, just automatically digging yourself. A exactly. Hole and, and he can say, and I, I respect his stance of, I don't care what the media says. I don't care what fans think about me. I am who I am for me authentically and my family. That's all well and good, but you exist in a different environment than that. You exist in a different situation than that. And you have to understand that the things you do and the things you say are publicly consumable and are going to come with consequences. You may not care that a bunch of people are talking about this rant today, but your employer surely does. Um, it's not the kind of attention that they would like. I think it is getting blown out of the water. I think it's disingenuous when people take what he said and, and grab the screen grabs of, of his rant that has subsequently been deleted from Facebook and turn the headline into, you know, woman hating Anthony Johnson threatens innocent yoga instructor story at 11. I think we, we do that too much in the media. Um, we create more hype about things than necessarily there needs to be, but he needs to understand that you can't, you're not just Dave from down the street that jumps on Facebook and vents that his 500 friends that he has on Facebook see, and they all go, yeah, man, sorry, this is on your 
professional athlete page where there are undoubtedly thousands of followers. Several of those are surely media. People are going to gravitate to anything involving you and women given your history. So you need to, you may not want to live in that world of having to censor yourself or having to keep some stuff filtered or keep some stuff in, but you have to at least understand that that's where you're at and the way you carry yourself and the way you communicate some of these things could have ramifications down the road. If you're okay with all of that, like if this leads to another suspension, which I don't think it should because he literally just had an angry, this person pissed me off at the gym. It's stupid. It's asinine. His reaction is probably greater than it needs to be. There's also the other side of the story that we don't know. But if it does have some kind of consequence, you have to understand going in that that's going to be the case. And as if you're okay with that and you sleep well with that at night, then, hey, that's that's you. More honestly to me, more respect to you that you're that authentic with yourself and that understanding of your situation. But you need to know that people are going to take this and run with it and turn it into a sensational story. Yeah, well, we'll see. Obviously, it's, you know, he's fighting in a couple of weeks and uh, and he's going to be in front of the media and that's it's going to come up. We'll see what the UFC's response is and, and whether he's going to shut it down or whether he is going to expand on it. I know you'll have something on that because, as you said, you are in contact with him. You are close to him. So uh, we'll see how that story develops. My question is, should the UFC, like, I'm genuinely asking this of you as someone who is in the media, someone whose opinion I greatly respect. Should the, like, is this something that, that needs to be addressed beyond someone from the UFC saying, Hey, AJ, get a diary. Stop going on Facebook. Well, I would because say, to yeah. To me, but- it feels like the John Jones stuff where it's like, are you really just going out there and trolling people and stirring up shit? I don't think he's trolling here. I don't think he's like, this to me was an authentic vent my frustrations, which I'm sure all of us have done either on Facebook or Twitter or in an email to people before, but he needs like, to me, it's just a athlete not understanding where they fit as opposed to a actionable situation. Well, it's a funny conversation, Spencer, because you, you know, you, I, I didn't know you had a relationship with them and not that that changes anything, but uh, you know, I do, um, you know, I, I'm an editor here. I, I'm largely telling other people what to do, but I participate in this one sports blog that we have called the morning skate. And this morning was my time to do it. And you come in at like, I come in at 5am and I start, you know, putting it together and, and uh, you know, some of it's lighthearted and it's intended to be sort of, you're, you're trying to highlight stuff that we do on our website. Like I was keep, uh, keyboard Kimura, but you look around the world of sports and, and you'll throw a link here, but you'll pass your own judgment on it. And I did exactly as you said, um, the media does this morning. I looked at it. I saw the headline and I went, Oh crap. And I look at it and I read <laughs> what he did on Facebook and, and I throw it in there and I link to it. And I said, time for, you know, Dana, cause I have this other item about Dana White that I'll talk to you about in a second, but I say, you know, time for the UFC to, to cut this bonehead. Um, and that's what the media does, unfortunately, and I'll, I'll plead guilty on that. You know, I see a story, I look at it, I pass judgment on it quickly, even though it's one side of the story, bang, here's the link, quick, make a, a, a pithy comment. Um, I, I have, in this job, I have 
I always think I fall on the right line of doing the right thing from a media point of view, but I wrestle with it. And you know, we've talked about this. I am a huge John Jones fan and I found myself not wanting to excuse, but I found myself in such conflict when he had, um, the cocaine and when he had obviously the, the hit and run. And I'm like, there's a part of me that's a fan that's like, come on, John, is it really that serious? And then, you know, I see the video and it's like, well, it's the damage wasn't that bad. And you start to try and rationalize it as a fan. A disgusting level of this went on uh, with some Chicago Blackhawk fans when Patrick Kane was accused of rape. Um, right. as, when you're around these guys and you idolize them for their athletic ability, whether you're a fan or you're someone who covers them and you get a personal relationship with them, it's really easy to excuse the bad stuff and kind of rationalize it. But at the end of the day, just because you're an athlete, it doesn't give you a pass on any of your actions. And that's why John Jones was stripped of his title. I still am a fan of John Jones. I still think he's the most amazing fighter I've ever seen. And I can't wait for him to get back in the ring. I'm a huge fan of Anthony Johnson. And I felt uncomfortable when I watched Anthony Johnson dismantle Alexander Gustafson, I was like, this guy is amazing. And I started to know more. I knew he had the the allegations out there about his domestic violence issues in the past. And it started to make me feel uncomfortable. And you can't whitewash that. And Dana White, and this is where it goes beyond Anthony Johnson. You asked me the question. This is yep. a question for Dana White because they have had a, a history in the UFC of, oh, Dana wants the Reebok contract. And he wants them all to look professional. And he wants them all to move towards the NFL, NBA, NHL model and be considered in those uh, in those spheres. But at the same time, they've excused a lot of crappy behavior in the past, have excused a lot of, of ridiculous things that go on. And as you try and professionalize your organization, you can't just cut a guy like AJ loose and say, oh, you're on your own. You did something stupid. If you want the whole package, you have to counsel these guys. You have to train them. And you have to tell them that it is a big deal if you're going to put this stuff out on Facebook with that history. And you have to suspend guys when they do stuff wrong. So it's that it's that line that we always walk as fans as to I like this guy as an athlete, but as a person, can I reconcile those two things? Yeah, and, and I agree absolutely that in cases like John Jones's hit and run, for instance, or, um, you know, anybody running afoul of the law and, and getting caught up in legal situations, there need, those are actionable offenses to me. Those are things that you need to investigate, put the guys on the shelves. I mean, they did it with AJ last year, um, after his fight with, um, Antonio Rogerio Noguera. He was, suspended indefinitely as they investigated some allegations. Same thing happened to Michael Johnson. So I think they've taken those steps. For me, if the UFC decided to make a cumulative, you know what, greater headache than reward decision here, I can't fault them for it because this is one of those. To me, this is a, this is, isn't a major transgression. It's a, dude, you need to not go on Facebook and rant about this. You need to understand that you have a larger public profile. Um, you need to behave better, potentially. I mean, I don't know the whole story, but probably shouldn't be grabbing people's yoga mats and chucking them aside and stuff like that and saying the things you're saying on Facebook. About yeah, got to learn to walk away, as bad as that just, is. Yeah, just walk away. They're just disrespectful, unnecessary things to be said. That being said, I think there are 
larger issues. And, and I think you're right. It's a, it's a larger organizational discussion that needs to take place in the UFC about sort of, as you said, if we want to get to this next level of professionalism, if we want to be regarded in the same vein as well, the NFL. You want to be the NFL, Spencer? That's a, it's, that's a great backdrop because today it sounds like Tom Brady is accepting his suspension if he doesn't have to admit guilt. Now, <laughs> you know, you can look at it you can look at it from all sorts of angles about whether it's worth it or not. The NFL has taken their biggest star on their Super Bowl champion team and suspended him for four games because they want to send the message to everyone, fans, owners, coaches, and players, that we will not tolerate people monkeying with the game. Ray Rice initially suspended for two games. Uh-oh, our image is taking a dent. Ray Rice suspended for a season. You know, the NFL has overreacted in order to look like they are doing the right thing. And this is the UFC now. When If they want to be considered in those spheres, they're going to have to live with that. And, and in many ways, I, I do give them props because suspending John Jones and definitely and stripping him of his title, when you actually look at what he did, there is an argument to be made that they were way or like went way too far one way that you could have suspended him pending this and as an interim title. They went all in on it because I think that they had gone through so much criticism that they had to show that they were serious. And well, I think and, that this, this is where they, they're wrestling with it as an organization. Help, John, that there was the cocaine situation um, test pot prior to the fight with Daniel Cormier, the news comes out afterwards and it becomes the 24 hours in rehab and they take a PR knock for that. And so I agree with you. I think it's, it's one of those things where if they want to, as you said, to me, releasing Anthony Johnson based on this Facebook rant and whatever this interaction was would be an overreaction. But I, as I said, I would also understand it from a cumulative We've had too many issues with this guy situation. Yeah, I think that's, I think and, a, a release would be ridiculous, but I think you have to, you have to sit him down and say, you got to be more aware of yep. your responsibility to the organization. And you can be a thousand percent right. And whether it's a man or a woman and they're being rude to you in the gym, you got to turn around and walk away. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. And like, I'm the last dude to throw out the, that's one of the prices of fame. That's what you get paid all this money for because no one should have to deal with assholes and ignorant people and some of the, some of the comments that, you know, professional athletes and celebrities get on Twitter and social media and things like that. There are just some deplorable human beings in the world, but you do have to accept like you have to have that thicker skin and be the bigger person. 99.9% of the time and just understand that this isn't the hill you want to die on. Like you can take a stand for some stuff, but just make sure that this is where you really want to plant your flag. Cause if it goes South and you lose your job because of yoga girl, yeah, you're going to feel real bad. Like, but one of the may, issues you may feel 100% justified in everything that you have said and done. And that's cool. But if you lose your opportunity to earn a living, to, to make the income you're making in the UFC, that impacts the people that you care about the most. And is it worth it over getting to vent about this person that frustrated you at the yeah. gym? One of the issues that Dana White, I think, has struggled with uh, consistently is his inconsistency. <laughs> and a guy like Paul Daly, who in my mind is a very talented, very sellable fighter, uh, after an incredibly frustrating fight with Josh Koscheck, who just didn't look like he wanted to fight the whole time, 
Daly loses his temper after the bell and smacks him suspended for life. Yet Dana will put up with all sorts of crap from guys like Mayhem Miller and various other guys who do stuff that's either not on camera, away from the ring, whatever, and, you know, has turned a blind eye to it, yet he's making an example of the one guy. So that's my NFL thing. The NFL has decided, look, you step over the line. We are going to make an example of you because – and we'll come down harder on you than we probably should. And even doing it with Tom Brady shows no one's exempt from that. And I think that that's an issue a lot of people have with Dana White is he's very selective in who he punishes. Well, and I mean, if we're putting all the cards on the table, Dana goes on Twitter not that yeah. long ago and gets into these back and forth with anybody that questions him on on anything the organization is doing. This was at the time of the Stitch Duran firing. This was at the time sort of the, the Reebok thing was still a major topic of discussion. Goes on there and, and gets into these back and forth with people that are, I mean – the one that stands out for me is the 14 year old kid that literally like fired back at him. You're a 40 year old man that's worth X amount of money. And you're on here arguing with a 14 year old grow up. It's very challenging to hold your, I'm making air quotes, independent contractors to a certain standard when the president of your company is getting into flame wars on Twitter with 14 year olds because they ask why you cut the cut man that they really liked seeing. Like if you're going to set the standard, set it, as you said, consistently have it clear that it applies the same to everybody. And that's got to include the people higher up. Like you can't just say everybody below the top 10 is held to standard a, everybody above it is held to standard B and management has a whole nother class. It's got to be unilateral. It's got to be equivalent for everybody or else we're just going to see more of this stuff. It's a great point. I did just want your reaction to something as we were talking about Dana White. Uh, I did include in the morning skate uh, on Wednesday morning the the little back and forth. Well, not even a back and forth, but Brock Lesnar was dragged into <laughs> one of those, uh, the, you know, the Twitter fight that Dana got into with a bunch of wrestling fans, basically crapping all over wrestling, calling it fake. And uh, Brock kind of talked to him and goes, yeah, it's fake, but everyone knows what it is. It's still a show. It's still entertainment. And then he said, I think Vince McMahon's a better promoter than Dana White. <laughs> Going to be any fallout from that? Does Dana take that stuff seriously? Does he? D- does his ego take a dent or does he just kind of laugh it off? I'm I'm sure he'll laugh it off. I'm sure it will come up the next time Dana is in front of reporters, whatever that is. I think the fact that it became a, a mixed martial arts story yesterday um, is a hashtag you're getting worked. Like, what is, what is Brock going to say? Is he going to go on ESPN and be like the dude that pays me an exorbitant amount of money right now to work a cushy schedule that I dictate? doesn't do as good a job as the guy that I didn't go back to. Of course, he's going to say Vince McMahon does it better. I would agree with Brock Lesnar that Vince McMahon does it better. He's been doing it longer. He has a greater track record of success. So it's it's tough to see where that's really a story or anything that that needs to be reported. I think Dana would probably agree that, yeah, Vince does a great job. He may not agree that he does it better. But he'll say Vince does a great job. And I think anybody that just, that wants to make this into White versus McMahon, 
is crazy. Like there's so much more to talk about. There's so well, many better th- things. There is, like, but Spencer, it, this goes back to your point about the 14-year-old. Dana started this on Twitter, <laughs> getting into it. And now instead of being compared to the cherished NFL that he wants so much, he's being compared to fake pro wrestling. And that's Dana's fault. See, but I think, I think the UFC and MMA in general is always going to be cousins and side by side with professional wrestling because of the nature of it. You look at what the competition is. I mean, to me, mixed martial arts is just professional wrestling without the scripted finishes. It's a lot of, you see a lot of the same movements. You see a lot of the same actions. They're promoted on the same sort of model where you have pay-per-view events and you have events that are on television and you're trying, there's no break in the schedule and, and things like that. And so you're never going to escape that. Dana absolutely brought some of this heat onto himself from wrestling fans by, by saying it's fake and by not backing down from that and not, you know, stepping back and saying like, listen, I didn't mean, yes, it's fake, but these guys still do a great job and all the respect in the world for them and things like that. But I think to try to divorce the two as if they're, they're not really closely related is crazy. They're always going to be related. They're always interconnected because not just because we've had guys cross over like Brock Lesnar, or we've had Ronda Rousey in the WWE ring at WrestleMania and talking about, you know, wanting to do that later in her career and having the four horsewomen stable and things like that. But they are just athletically and physically closely related and business model wise, they're the same. And so I think they're always going to be there. And so it's not necessarily to me, I guess, and maybe this is, I'm just weird from people. Um, it's not a story like there's, there's nothing to that to me other than Brock Lesnar praises current boss ahead of former boss. <laughs> well, like, let- I'm not going to say that the dude I used to work for is a better managing editor and podcast co-host than the guy that gives me the green light now and does this show. Yeah, with but that, that's week. only because you tell the truth. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's let, I know you have an interview to get to, so let's bring this full circle because there was something else I wanted to talk to, talk about. We talked about Brock Lesnar. We talk about fights people want to see. Um, and even if I, if I go back a little bit on the rewind button, we talked about, uh, quickly Frank Mir and Andrei Arlovsky. Um, I will rewind a couple of weeks because I wasn't here. Uh, on the OSP Glover Teixeira, um, fight night card. The heavyweight uh, fight on that card was horrendous. It was one of the worst fights I've ever seen in the UFC. Two fat guys rolling around without the energy to even throw a punch, just leaning on each other the whole time. Um, maybe that is why some people don't hold heavyweights in high esteem and why the same names at the top keep getting recycled. H- having said that, as you said, Arlovsky versus Mir could have happened 10 years ago. They both have enjoyed some success and somewhat of a renaissance, and you have to give them credit for that. Uh, but I know that we have a fight announcement this week, which is one that is a title fight and is amongst, I don't think there's any doubt still, the two most talented guys in the heavyweight division. But, you know, according to you, this isn't a fight that people necessarily want to see. Yeah, I think, and and I wrote about it earlier in the week at Keyboard Kimura, the the immediate rematch that is sort of penciled in right now for some time in the future between Fabricio Verdum and Cain Velasquez. I understand why it's happening. I think there are a lot of mitigating circumstances going into their first fight that people want to see how much of an impact they had 
on that fight, how much did the layoff and, and the altitude of Mexico City really impact the performance of Cain Velasquez? For me, we're just finally at a time where there is a wealth of new and interesting matchups that you can make at the top of the division with guys like Andre Arlovsky. That is a crazy resurgent story. Frank Mir is coming around. Stipe Meosic looks like he's in sort of that conversation as well. Junior Dos Santos is out there. He has a history with Fabricio Verdue. There's just so many different options that I don't necessarily think people want to see this fight right away. I think there's other things you could do. Even if you put one fight or two fights between them with the intention of down the road, like the paths lead together, that's your best case scenario. Maybe you take that route. Obviously, as I said in the piece, these things are already booked. Miran Arlovsky is happening very soon. Stipe Miosic is fighting Ben Rothwell. Um, but it just, it feels to me like it might be a little hustled because if Kane wins, then you probably got to do a trilogy fight. Yep. Then we're looking at, you know, a year and a half where the two best heavyweights in the world have just fought each other three times and everybody else kind of has to stay in a holding pattern and you end up losing guys just because they haven't had that option to go forward. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I think some of it is the consistency in how these things are, 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 are dealt with. If you look at light heavy heavyweight and you had John Jones clearly at the top of the mountain and you had, regardless of what we've seen happen since, but you had Glover Teixeira, Alexander Gustafson, Daniel Cormier, Anthony Johnson, all kind of lining up. None of them had to fight each other. It was like, let's <laughs> all go up and John Jones has to handle all these guys. We're not going to play off two versus three to see who gets the fight number one. It was like, John Jones has to take them out. And the other guys were kind of saved fighting lower guys to keep them going, but not sacrificing that big fight. And you're you're right. I look at Stipe Miocic and where does he fit in? Where does Junior Dos Santos, who is, you know, what are we now, two years removed from his last loss to Kane? Uh, where does he fit in? And I'll even say Alistair Overeem, who has been very inconsistent, but when he's looked good, it's looked like he, he could be a guy who that once took out Brock Lesnar and challenged for the title again. They all have to sit here and wait now and maybe even fight each other and wreck some of those good fights. You're right. I just don't. I see how other divisions are handled and the heavy, which just seems to have its own blueprint. Well, and I, I really do like and, and have advocated for a while now of sort of building those guys. Once you get to, and I've talked to enough fighters and enough managers about this, that once you get into sort of the top five, there's not a lot of options. There's not a lot of fights that make sense for you. Joe Benavidez and I've talked about this a bunch because He's a perennial top one, top two contender in that division, but isn't going to get another title shot without a bunch of wins because he has two losses to, to Demetrius Johnson. So his thing is, it makes no sense for me to call anybody out because I'm sitting here as the number two ranked contender. I've beaten everybody else. I got to just fight whoever it is. And so for me, I would rather see Joe fight, you know, the guy that's at Number seven, number nine, number 11. I know he's got a fight announced coming up <clears throat> in Houston with the returning Ali Bagutinov, which I think is the right fight for him. He, there was rumors of a, a fight with Henry Cejudo, which to me wouldn't have made sense because why burn off a potential contender in Henry Cejudo, undefeated Olympic medalist on his way up against a guy that doesn't necessarily have anywhere to go. And that sort of 
what this heavyweight situation feels like. As much as I'm looking forward to seeing Stipe Miocic and Ben Rothwell fight, why do you want to lose one of those guys in a division where you need bodies, where there's the possibility of Kane getting hurt? Because that always seems to happen. There's the possibility of whenever Junior fights next, he catches another beating the way he has in his last several fights and needs a year to recover again. Why not get some of these fights, capitalize? Why not have Andre Arlovsky fight Fabricio Verdum? Because there's a very real possibility that Andre Arlovsky is never going to put together a three-fight winning streak like this in the UFC again. Capitalize on it now. You still have the possibility of Velasquez down the road. Just keep things moving. As you said, John, make, make the champion have to face that murderer's row of contenders. Keep the contenders building because the champion always looks strong because they're the champion. And if they keep knocking off one to two, three, four, five straight guys, just builds, builds their dominance, builds that invincibility. That's what you want. That's how you sell things. Yeah, if Kane Not goes and destroys the someone, right. then then you go, oh, maybe Mexico City did. And now there's to, for Absolutely. the rematch, there's a lot more hype. You put him in there with, and I think in the piece I suggested Travis Brown, who is currently on suspension, tying everything back together, currently on suspension due to allegations of domestic abuse. Um, but if you put him in, I mean, you put him in there with not to just sacrificial lay on my boy Matt Mitrione, but you put him in there with Matt Mitrione. Put him in there with just about anybody. And if he goes out and absolutely waxes them, he looks so much better. And as you said, you get that, well, maybe Mexico City was the problem. Maybe the two years was the issue. And it makes that next fight all the more appealing. Just takes one fight. Who knows what happens in the championship fight? Maybe Fabricio Verdum goes out and destroys him again and continues to build. I just... Everything for me is always based on worst case scenario, not best case scenario. And for me, worst case scenario is Cain Velasquez wins a close, grueling, ugly fight and we need a third fight. Absolutely. Because I don't need to see it three times in two years like we did with Cain and Junior, which was a trilogy that we all sort of thought, yeah, we're going to get it at some point. But that should have carried you for three or four years, not two. Yeah. Absolutely. So lots of stuff to talk about in a week when I didn't think there was much going on. So this turned into a great one. Spencer, I thank you for that. I know you got an interview to get to, so we'll let you go and wrap it up there. Uh, as usual, you can catch Spencer on Twitter at at Spencer Kite, uh, K-Y-T-E, um, to find out where he writes beyond Keyboard Khmer for the province because he does write for the UFC and several other places. So great stuff, Spencer, and uh, we'll wrap it up here and we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Good to have you back. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard kimura. Kimura.